0: Hey, it's Aaron. We've had some amazing feedback following on from the last episode. And if you haven't heard An Empty Cathedral, go and listen to it. I'm really proud of how it turned out. We have a new episode in the works, but I wanted to share a mini episode with you about something that came up in the previous episode that we didn't quite have time to get into. So let's do the music. From faculty, this is First Time Long Time, stories about sports for people who may not like sports. I'm Aaron Wolf. And in this mini-episode, we're talking to Flav and T from The Fighting Cock about a single song that not only tells us so much about where football songs come from, but also about some of the hardest and most powerful parts of belonging to a team. Okay, so first of all, a few things you should know. In English football, there are a couple of different types of songs that are sung. In our last episode, we spoke about You'll Never Walk Alone, which is a song that's sung exactly as it was originally written. And we also talked about Oh When the Spurs, which is a song that was kind of repurposed and very lightly rewritten to be more Tottenham-centric. I mean, they replaced Saints with the word Spurs. That's it. But there's another tradition of song that's sung in the stands. One that takes popular music and then totally rewrites the lyrics so that they're about your favorite player or team. And it's kind of funny, but around the league, you hear the same songs being rewritten over and over again. You've got Guantanamera. The ever-present Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. You've got, and this is super weird to me, Achey Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus. Now, for the most part, no one really knows where the lyrics to these songs come from. I mean, someone has an idea, they sing it in the pub, and it catches on, and then it's sung in the stadium and sticks around and eventually becomes a mainstay. Sometimes those spontaneous lyrics are transcendent, and sometimes they're less transcendent. But in one instance in particular, we know exactly where the lyrics for a song came from. And the story of this song says a lot about what it means to be a Tottenham supporter and fandom in general. But first, the melody. It's found all over English football. Here are Chelsea fans singing it. We actually even talked about this melody in the previous episode. Arsenal fan on a string? That's the same song. But there's one version of the lyrics to the song that's sung at almost every single Tottenham game, and that didn't come from the ether. It came directly from a single source, the Fighting Cock Forums. This version of the song is called Being a Yid. Now, for years, Tottenham supporters have referred to themselves as Yids, or as being part of the Yid army. Here's Flav. I've been going to Tottenham for...
1: 30 years, and singing Yids and stuff and Yid Army was something that we'd do as, uh, you know, just something, because it was Tottenham. I had no idea when I was a child that Yid meant Jewish person at all. I didn't know. It was just it was something that we, we sung. And then you'd meet fans as you get older of other clubs, and they go, Yids, you dirty Yids, like that. And you're like, whoa, what's that about? And then you figure, figure, figure it out.
0: And before we go any further, you have to know this. To me, an American Jew, the word Yid is harmless. I mean... Literally, it's just Yiddish for Jew. But in the UK, it's considered a derogatory word. So why do Tottenham fans call themselves this derogatory term?
1: It comes from a, uh, from, from having a Jewish fan base and fans of other football clubs identified that and started calling Spurs fans en masse, whether or not they were Jewish, um, calling them Yids. And Spurs fans as a way of deflecting this would say, okay, we're proud of this. We have no issue with this, this aspect of our supporters. And um, we, will, we, will, we refer to our, ourselves as Yid. So if you, if you say you're dirty Yid, we'll say, yeah, we're the Yid army. Then what are you going to do about it?
0: And we're not talking about simple verbal abuse. We're talking about fans singing how Tottenham supporters have big noses and hissing in order to simulate the sound of Hitler's gas chambers. Really horrible stuff. So Spurs supporters started calling themselves Gids as an act of solidarity, an attempt to defang the horrible abuse and essentially say, look, you want to attack the minority among us? You're going to have to attack all of us. It's this, like, total We Are Spartacus moment. And for decades, there have been countless songs and chants that Spurs fans have sung about Gids. But a few years ago, the world shifted once again to that kind of right-wing extremism that seems to plague us every couple of decades. And Tottenham supporters once again found themselves under attack, literally.
2: It came at a time when our friends were, you know, getting attacked regularly on the continent.
0: That's Thelonious, or T. And what he's talking about is that it felt like at every European game that Tottenham played, our fans were being abused or actually physically attacked by neo-Nazi ultra groups.
2: Two
1: Tottenham Hotspur fans have been stabbed after around 100 Lazio hooligans attacked them in a bar in Rome.
0: And while Spurs fans were being attacked in Europe, at home in the UK, they were being attacked in a different way for using the word yid in their songs.
1: Every now and then, There's campaigns to to get Tottenham to stop using it. But This one was the most serious where Spurs fans were arrested in the stadium. Three of them were arrested for using the word
0: and it went to court. Okay, so for those of us in the States, it's hard to understand that the very use of a derogatory word can be grounds for arrest. But that is the law in the UK. The Tottenham three were arrested for singing a song in which they self-identified as Yids, as Jews. And... These three fans, I don't know if they were Jewish or not, they were tried by the crown prosecutor and found not guilty. Those two events, the attacks in Italy and the prosecution of the Tottenham Three, became the inspiration for a new song one that didn't come from the pubs or some moment of inspiration in the stands, a song that came from a web forum on the website of Flav's podcast, The Fighting Cock.
1: Some g- geezer on, on the Fighting Cock forums wrote uh, be in the Yid songs. So we loved it so much and we were so invested in that court case that when it overturned, we started singing that song on the pod, just one pod. And it was such a great song. Giving it a platform meant that Spurs fans would start singing it and they, they still do to this day.
0: The Fighting Cock is one of the most influential Spurs podcasts out there. And when the lads from The Fighting Cock sing a song, people listen. So here's what they're singing. We sang it in France, we sang it in Spain, we sing in the sun, and we sing in the rain. they try to stop us and look what it did, because the thing I love most is being a yid. Being a yid, being a yid. The thing I love most is being a yid. And look, again, I've got to say, this doesn't offend me. At all. I mean, when I was first introduced to Tottenham, I was a little wary of the Yid thing. There's a team in Amsterdam called Ajax. They wave Israeli flags and they sing Hava Nagila during games. That feels weird. I don't like that. But as soon as I heard the story of why Spurs fans called themselves the Yid Army, I fell in love. But others don't like it. Every few years, the Y word debate comes to the forefront of English football, usually around a Chelsea-Tottenham game, and usually because Chelsea fan and stand-up comedian David Baddiel, who is Jewish, makes a comment in the press about it. Here he is talking to The Guardian in 2013 about then-Prime Minister David Cameron, who seemed to embrace Tottenham fans using the word yid.
1: Uh, I think what he's not understood, as maybe quite a lot of Spurs fans don't understand, is the wider context of, uh, A, what it's like for the Jewish Chelsea fan, the Jewish Arsenal fan, the Jewish West Ham fans to hear this stuff. uh, and And
0: I get it. Truly, I do. Except that Chelsea fans and West Ham fans two groups that he just referenced in The Guardian are famously anti-Semitic and famously racist. And while this may seem like whataboutism, they are literally two teams that created the anti-Semitic environment that so threatened Tottenham's Jewish supporters that the fan base turned to this amazing act of solidarity as a way of defanging and deflecting the issue. David Baddiel says that if Tottenham fans stopped using the word yid, other fans wouldn't attack them on anti-Semitic grounds. And to me, that sounds a lot like blaming the victim.
1: Like there are fights out there that, that need to be had. In, and there are there are places where there is no allyship and there is over racism. And to, to use so much attention and energy to target a group of people who stand in solidarity with jewish people actually it's not even a it's not even jewish people you're saying tottenham fans which include jewish people it's not it's us it's it's us we are we 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 are uh, a collective you're not even we're not separating anything here that everybody is, is is Spurs fans it's 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 frustrating You know, if you if you if you said to me, Aaron, you went, Look, it's really, really hurtful what you're saying, like well of course I've never used that in your person ever again. But for someone outside like, you know, David Badill he's a Chelsea fan, where it's anti-semitism is systematic of being a part of that football club, I can't listen to it. I can't hear it. So stopping Spurs fans from, from using the Y word or or, or the word yeard isn't going to defeat anti-Semitism. Actually, what it will do is shut down one of the one of the the most honest and organic movements towards defending Jews against people that want to harm them.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. But I do want to give space for a different facet to this argument, and actually, this facet is contained in the story of the song itself. So if you ask most people where the original melody for the Being a Yid song came from, they'll likely point you to a song called Tom Hark by The Piranhas, a ska band out of Brighton. Listen to this melody. It's identical to what Tottenham fans and so many others sing in the stands. And by the way, oh my God, we'll link to the YouTube video of them performing on Top of the Pops. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, there are these kind of nerdy-looking British ska dudes lip-syncing to this song with a shirtless drummer who's playing drums standing up and using what might be bowling pins as drumsticks. It's perfect. But the thing is, the Piranhas didn't write this song. In fact, here's where it gets weird. The song was originally written by a South African musician as a Quella song, a street song originally written for Penny Whistle. It's credited to Rupert Bopape, but as with many folk songs, the original ownership is disputed. But I want you to hear the first recording of it ever, from 1956, recorded by Elias and his zigzag jive flutes. It couldn't be further from the song that's sung on the terraces of English football stadiums. (laughs) ¶¶ Two years later, Ted Heath, a UK-based big band musician, records a cover of it. He adds horns and classic jazz instruments. And a few years after that, Jimmy Powell records a version with lyrics that are unimaginative. I am Tom Hawk, how do you do? And I remark,
2: I'm pleased to meet you.
0: Yeah, brilliant rhyming there. There's a version that's recorded in Jamaica, another cover, and then another, and then finally the Piranhas record their version, which has clearly been modernized. And look, it has to be said, the Piranhas are white, co-opting black music, covering a song that was written by a South African street musician, and that song was further co-opted by English football fans to sing about a word that they are being accused of co-opting. The layers are very complicated. And it's made even more complicated when you take in the fact that football fans are not, generally speaking, the most progressive people in the world. Here's T. He's a black man who goes to almost every Tottenham game surrounded by a majority white fan base. I wanted to know how he felt about all of this, because to me, there's a fine line between allyship and the word yid and mascotism. And I don't want my people to be a mascot. But that fine line... Lies in the intention of the fan base. It's a
2: difficult one because um, I'm, I'm not Jewish. Um, I mean, I guess the only thing I can kind of relate it to is is, is the N word, and you know, as often said in you know, those Spurs fans call themselves that. You know, would it be acceptable to me? And if we do end up shelving the chant, then I'd completely understand it and I'd, and I'd respect it. I'm not going to fight to to keep it because I don't I don't own it and. You know, i think in these recent times with you know black lives matter it's not something that i can demand that that we keep but some people say spurs fans aren't racist we'd never do this we'd never do that but if racism exists in society then it's going to exist at Tottenham. End. you know we were you know we're both on twitter we've seen certain elements of our fan base say awful awful things and defend awful awful things and you attend games, you're shoulder-to-shoulder with some of these people, there's certain people there that I know are, are racist, and you know obviously I try and give them a wide berth, they don't give me any jip face-to-face, but there was a Spurs fan in a Spurs Facebook group who put up a picture of himself in a Black Lives Matter shirt, Spurs shirt I think it was, and he got absolute dogs abuse, you know? And in a way, it made me a bit happy that he's prepared to put his head above the parapet and put that on, on the Spurs group. But to you know any non-Black person listening to this, I would just say, it's not about you not being racist. It's about you being actively anti-racist. My son starts school in a couple of months, and. All the images he'll probably see in the books he reads, there won't be anyone who looks like him. Obviously at home, myself and his mum have to kind of drive home positive images of people who look and sound like him and have hair like him and features like him. And um, that's what I want to see from, you know, going forward with not so much Black Lives Matter, but just how humans interact with each other on a the whole.
0: There is a part of me, honestly, that stands in every room wondering who can tell that I'm Jewish. Wondering what would happen if they knew. A few weeks after Trump was elected in 2016, I had to drive out to the country into what I was sure was Trump land. And I was terrified that somehow they'd know I was different. They'd know that I didn't belong. I stopped for gas in a little hill town, literally terrified. And then I saw a rainbow flag hanging on the front of the store, and I realized I probably meant that I was safe too. There are Tottenham fans that are racist. There's no question. But for me, I relate to what T said. Hearing other fans sing Yid Army, sing about being a Yid, I find it comforting. To me, it feels like representation, it feels like allyship. It's being anti anti Semitic. Recently, in a lower division of American soccer, a player called another player a homophobic slur on the pitch. The coach, Landon Donovan, marched his team off the field, refusing to play on. That is what's needed. When fans sing racist songs, teams should stop playing until the perpetrators are found and banned from the stadium for life. And when Chelsea or West Ham chant anti-Semitism at Spurs supporters, the teams should demand that it end on the spot or else there will be no more football. That's the solution. In the meanwhile, the next time West Ham sing their version of Guantanamera, which has the lyrics, gassed in the morning, you're getting gassed in the morning, I sincerely hope that T and Flav and the rest of the Tottenham faithful are there in the stands singing on in solidarity, in allyship, in unity, about being a Yid. That's it for now. This episode was written and edited by me, Aaron Wolf. Julia Chen is our producer. Josh Balgos and Nasia Comrat are the executive producers of First Time, Long Time. Raina Habaker is our researcher. We've got a new episode coming in a couple of weeks, a further dive into racism and baseball. See you then.